So this is Perspectives. This is the second episode, and we're recording this on the 2nd of June, 2017. I've got with me Negan Tropic, who is well-known because of his Negan Tropic Chronicles, and we actually had a chat about four months ago, which was the first episode of Perspectives. The feedback was terrific. The view counts were even better, and it seemed like it was well worth our time. I can't believe it's taken so long to finally reconvene, but we have. And so coming to you from Brisbane, Australia, is myself, John LeBon, and I've got with me Negan Tropic, who I'll be referring to as Neg throughout the call. So Neg, do you want to just give us a little sound check there and let us know where you're coming to the audience from and maybe give us a quick little uh, reflection on our first chat four months ago? Hey, this is Negan Tropic. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and I'm back talking to John LeBon from Brisbane, Australia. Well, the audio is coming through fantastic. We're using this new Amolto call recorder premium for Skype, and uh, hopefully the audio is recorded okay. The sound checks seems to work before the start, but enough of all of that, mate. We spoke about four months ago, and the main thing that we covered in that first chat was your history with 9-11 and what people are talking about online at the time and since then, and all of the different little rabbit holes that people get stuck down and all of the, um, what you might describe as um, disinformation agents or controlled opposition. And we spent a fair portion of time just reflecting on, I guess, your experience with all of this. Do you want to just give the audience a quick summation of how you uh, came to be doing all of this online, this idea of uh, questioning the official story? Just give us a really quick synopsis of your history with all of this. Yeah, well, originally I just didn't believe 911 and just went online and researched the stuff. And after a few websites and 10 years of banging my head against the wall, I finally found a few websites that were actually close to the truth, actually made some sense. And I finally came to the conclusion that most of the so-called psyops, most of the so-called events that are terror events or so-called monumental events that are recorded on the news are pre-manufactured, sometimes even with numbers behind them, uh, gematria behind them and all this stuff that Zach Harbert talks about. And most of them are pre-manufactured and completely fake from scratch. And very few people are actually needed to be killed or massacred in any of these things for there to for the fear factor to rise up to a level that people are controlled en masse. Yeah, that's a fair summation. So we talked about people like uh, Ace Baker and these other people who've put out content over the last uh, five or ten years talking about different perspectives on 9-11. And what we wanted to do today was spend a bit of time talking about where you sit right now, your current opinion on that particular event, and then a few other major things that are happening in the world as well. So why don't we dive right into it then and talk about uh, what's been happening recently. It has been four months since you and I last had a chat on or off the air. It's now about the middle of 2017. The time goes very quickly. Anything that's been happening lately that you'd like to start with to get the ball rolling? What I've noticed is that in the alternative truth movement, the podcasts have gotten too repetitive. They're mostly boring. They're repeating the same stuff over and over and over again. It's not giving me new information. It is causing more chaos. It is becoming entropic, not negentropic. It is not the anti-chaos uh, 
the truths that bring in your uh, the the negentropic principle into into the circulation, for lack of a better term. So I've noticed that a lot of podcasts are just plain boring, and I don't want to listen to them. So I've stopped listening to most podcasts, and I only listen to for entertainment. Sometimes I might listen to like a Joe Rogan podcast or some of these other podcasts that are hugely popular because they have entertainment. I might listen to it for entertainment. And then halfway through the middle, I might get pissed off that they're shilling for this or they're shilling for that. And they always shill or else they wouldn't be as popular as they are most of the time. And I get angry and I shut them off. And then I go to the truth channels and there's nothing on the truth channels except a couple of drunk guys drunk off their ass for nine hours talking about I don't know what, you know. So I've noticed just in the past four months that truth information, there's a lot of demand for a new level of truth information that not enough people are bringing. And one of the reasons that I support John's website is because he's bringing that new truth. Okay, he's bringing it, Zach Hubbard is bringing it, a couple of other guys are bringing it, but most people are just stuck in the old ways, and I'm kind of, I'm real bored with it. Yeah, well, I appreciate the kind words there. I guess what I'm doing with my website is I'm trying to be more skeptical in the sense of, I think some people, they think skepticism is simply denying things, but to me, skepticism involves actually going out and looking for the evidence. So if the official story is X, Y, or Z, Go and find the official story. What is their evidence for their story? What's the history of the evidence? How long has this been their story? What did their story used to be? Find out the official story. Find out the problems with it, if there are any, and then go from there. And so that's what I'm trying to do, but it's a laborious process. Even something as simple as, say, ancient Greece, just to use one example. Ancient Greece, what do we think we know about this uh, place thousands of years ago down there in uh, like the bottom of, of continental Europe? How much do we know? about this place do you know what i mean how much do we know about what happened back then well that involves checking a lot of books and most of those books have been written recently and they will cite other books so you try and find those there's usually copies online if you look hard enough but they will cite other books so there's this long process involved of trying to get to the original source the primary source evidence and who wants to do that and that's just one example of many so it's difficult to release as much content as people like And in the meantime, people are looking for stuff to listen to, which is why you'll find now, like you said, people can sit around drunk and do an eight-hour Google Hangout, and there'll be very spurious discussion of conspiracies or alternative ideas. But for the most part, it's just people sitting around talking because there's not much new content being brought to the table. Yep. What were you saying before that, just before the drunk... Well, I kind of lost my using, train of thought for a I was using ancient Greece as an example because I've been looking recently into ancient history. How much do we really know about ancient history? Because like most of us, I would think, are raised to believe that thousands of years ago, there was this place with uh, these great philosophers and thinkers and uh, lots of people walking around, living you know, almost regular lives just without technology. And uh, one way or another we are beneficiaries of some of their insights. You know what I mean? I think this is okay. I think this is the way that a lot of people see the world. And this might actually be the case. Maybe thousands of years ago, there were people walking around what we now call Greece, and they, there were these great philosophers. Maybe this is possible. What's the evidence? When you go and look for the evidence, this is necessarily going to involve looking through books and the references of books, even if it's just online copies. Because a book that was written 30 years ago 
obviously wasn't there in ancient Greece. They're going to be citing somebody else. So you go and find who they're citing. Oh, they're citing somebody else. So you go through this process of digging through citation after citation. But a lot of these citation chains, they end 100 or 150 years ago. You're not going to find any original or primary source documentation from ancient oh, Greece. Not it. even close. Not even close. And to me, this then is there is no history, man. There, there is no. If you can't find the original source documentation, and the original source documentation would have to be two thousand years old or more, right? If it's if it's ancient Greece, it would have to be twenty five hundred years or more, because they were there five hundred years before, before the so called Christ. So it would have to be twenty five hundred years old, and it would have to be chemically tested that this freaking piece of uh, whatever they wrote on back then, leather or uh, stone or hemp or whatever they wrote on the few people that actually could write this is 2500 years old and this is what well, this was translated into this language by this person who understands the language and there are other people that understand that language that can now verify that this guy knows how to understand that language and therefore this story has come to us through that method but who the hell knows if that story is in any way true or it was just made up by some people? Who the hell knows? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And who's double-checking this stuff? And it, this is a good example of how some topics, they, they're going to take a lot of time to get to the bottom to. Like if you want to say, well, I don't really believe ancient history, but I've taken the time to go and look into it, it is going to take a lot of time to do it. And so the reason I got onto this one example was because on my website, I'm one person and it's one website. Obviously, I have other things to do with my life as well. There's only so much content you can release. But I think you're quite right that people do want to have more stuff to dig into. But there isn't really much new stuff getting done in the, uh, in the conspiracy scene or the truth scene or the alternative. However you want to describe this sort of uh, fringe element of the internet. There's not much real new content being brought to the table on the regular. And I'm trying to do That's what wrong. I can to, to bring new new ideas or new questions. I'm doing what I can, but you know, the, in, in the meantime, if I'm only releasing so many minutes or hours per week, there's many, many, many other hours that uh, are being filled. And like you said, a lot of it's being filled by people just sitting around talking crap. Yeah. I was talking about, oh, I went hunting with this guy this week, and I do this and I do that, like the Joe Rogan podcast. And then they bring on some clown like Alex Jones to make an ass out of himself for about three hours and he gets four million views and they talk about flat earth they actually talk about flat earth and that bullshit nobody even talked about it uh three four years ago uh, two years ago nobody talked about it before that sergeant interview now they're talking about it on the rogan podcast with that eddie bravo guy and alex jones so all this stuff is going towards the mainstream and it gets co-opted by the mainstream and then thrown in the garbage but what are you talking about when you what are you saying about ancient Greece? Like you were saying, you made a video about Werner von Braun. Okay, Werner von Braun was a rocket scientist, and rockets are fake in your opinion, and there's no su such thing as space travel in your opinion. And in my opinion too, that there's no moon landings, there's no international space station, none of this stuff. Satellites are very doubtful. I'm not a hundred percent sure. On, I'm nowhere near a hundred percent sure about satellites. I mean. It's most likely just triangulation based on towers uh, on the on the Earth itself, on the planet 
on the planet itself, if you want to call it a planet. But the thing is, the Werner von Braun and the Germans had a propaganda machine, the Americans had a propaganda machine. But if Werner von Braun is a fake actor, and he was there to induce fear in the enemy first, and then induce fear in the enemy on the on behalf of the Americans against the Russians or whoever the space race was or whatever that stuff was. That still doesn't it still doesn't follow that uh, Hitler himself was put in there by outside forces so that Germany would be destroyed because they already had control of Germany. Did they not? They had, they had full control of Germany in the 1930s as far as the history goes. And then Hitler came, the story is that Hitler came in 1933 and knocked them out of there and passed all these laws that it banned Jews from entering into politics, it banned, it banned Jews from full citizenship, it banned the Freemasons, it banned the Jesuits and all this stuff. And basically caused an economic revolution in the country, like an economic rebirth. And by 1936, everybody loved him. So by 1936, he got 98% of the vote, the free vote on top of that, and 99% of the Austrian vote, the free vote on top of that, monitored from the outside because Goebbels uh, knew that on the outside, from the outside press, he wasn't going to get any friendly uh, reviews of their election process so he deliberately uh, this is the story anyway he deliberately invited all the journalists that he could from the west from the so-called free west that were calling hitler's country a, a dictatorship that has no democracy or whatever to see that their democracy was working or in other words they were the dictatorship of the majority just like all the other countries were dictatorship of the majority. And what does the dictatorship of the majority mean? It means the dictatorship of the lowest common denominator majority. Okay, and once you get that, then you can have 50, in a two-party race, you can have 51% of the people force the other 49% to do whatever they want as long as they can justify it. So I think that just because... Juan Brown and these guys are in every country there's like these propagandists there's these people that they use to instill fear in the population or whatever that still doesn't mean that the entire German project in the 1930s was a completely fake event because you see today that 19 in 19 countries you're not allowed to even question that not even not allowed to even question the history of what happened in those years. I mean, what would be the point? Is the point of the 19, of these 19 countries with Holocaust denial laws, and you can't even question what happened in World War II as far as Russia goes, is the point of that to make what? To make it seem like Germany never, uh, the uh, National Socialist Germany never happened, that Mussolini never happened, that all these fascist revolutions never happened and there never were revolutions and they were funded by the same people it all gets all convoluted and stuff you know that theory that theory that everything is controlled i seriously doubt it i think that a lot of things are controlled and some things there are some things that are uncontrollable some factors that are uncontrollable that are nevertheless later steered when the power is there to steer it when the levers of power are there to steal it. But I think what happened with Mussolini and Hitler, Mussolini and Hitler for about 20 years is that they shifted, they took the levers of power 
away from the elite Jews and the Freemasons and all these people for about 10 or 20 years, and then it shifted back to them again, and now it's there more than ever. Well, I'll tell you what, I think we've given the the audience a good idea of what they can expect over the next 90 minutes. This has been a good overview of some of the topics that we're both interested in. While you were talking, I wrote down a few topics that it sounded like you wanted to talk about today. So how about this for a rough structure? Let's spend a few minutes on each of these. Firstly, we did say that we wanted to just give a a final rundown, I guess, of our positions on 9-11 because it is kind of like the epicenter of alternative viewpoints or research, if you like. And since we spent so much time in the last chat giving our background of you know the different rabbit holes that you can go down, maybe we'll start off spending a few minutes giving our overview of 9-11. And then I'd love to get your opinion on the conspiracy scene more generally because you say that it's very boring and people are being very repetitive and I agree with you about that. I think it's worth talking about what kind of people are attracted to this what brings them here? What can we... I mean, you're a content creator as well. You make uh, massive ma- marathon um, podcast compilations and you That's release mostly those. other people's, yeah. yeah. I only put an hour of myself on every one. I mostly just... Instead of, doing a, instead of doing a blog, what I do is instead of doing like 30 different blog entries for that month or 20 different blog entries and posting this video and that audio and this and that, I just cut it out from different... I learned how to use Audacity, and I just cut it out from different programs that I like, and I stick them together just for myself, for my own education. I like to concentrate knowledge so that something that man, previously took 30 hours to digest, then I can just put it in 17 hours. <laughs> I can put it in 10 hours or whatever and digest all of it at once when I need to. Let's say I forget some of it. I can go back and check. Uh, Chronicles Necron number two or number three or whatever. Oh, this was what I was thinking in those days. This knowledge I almost forgot about. Now I got to reintegrate it with all this new stuff that I found out. So it's it's good to have it there in concentrated form and you can reintegrate stuff and connect all the dots for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, even though you're only putting an hour of yourself into these uh, Chronicles, you are still creating content, I guess, with some hope or, you know, ideal that this will help other people to uh, see things Energy in a different exchange, way. That's yeah, so as, Ener- as, as the fact that both of us are doing this, we're both creating content, I'd love to get your opinion on sort of how you go about that because one of the things you said on our last chat stuck with me. I actually made a video, a YouTube video based on it where you were saying that people don't want to hear the truth. They want to feel good and when you make them laugh, you make them feel good. I don't know if you saw, but I turned that little clip into a video focused on Bill Hicks and George Carlin. They got thousands of views, and I think it helped generate more traffic to our podcast as well. But anyway, my point is, we'll spend some time talking about the conspiracy scene. That can be topic number two. Topic three: World War Two and Hitler. You've touched on some very important points there that I want to come back to as well, and it ties in well with the conspiracy scene because there's some overlap there. And then space and the moon, and maybe even this flat Earth so-called psyop. I'd love to get your opinions on that. If we get time at the end, some more on ancient history. And then the most important thing maybe might be talking about, you know, life and meaning, because a lot of your chronicles, they do have an emphasis on some of the continental philosophers and their views on existentialism. And this, I think, ties in as well. I think a lot of people come to conspiracy. They're searching for answers and they've realized that TV is not the answer or that accumulating stuff is not the answer. So what they're really looking for is, is answers. But most of the people involved in the conspiracy scene They've never opened a book in their lives. They wouldn't know the first thing about philosophy. So I think we've got a lot to get through today. But let's start off with 9-11, Nick. I want to give you the floor. Spend a couple of minutes. If you were talking to someone who just came to you and said, look, Nick, 
I've just worked out the TV might be lying to me. I think that Ariana Grande bombing was fake. And I know that you're into 9-11. I'm not going to agree with everything you tell me straight away, but just give me your overview. What happened on 9-11? What is 9-11? What are your insights as someone who has looked into this for five or ten years? Tell me what happened on 9-11. What would you say to them? Well, I would first start off at saying, what is a criminal investigation? How do you do a criminal investigation? How do you go about finding out what really happened, so-called what really happened? So I would quote him two things from Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, the inventor of the detective genre, which is so popular in the 20th century. So he said, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, or how seemingly improbable you can say, must be the truth. So the, the way you go about it is you start eliminating the impossible and see what remains. And what remains, if it's not impossible, then that's the truth. Okay, so that's one principle. And the other principle is it is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. Okay. The second one is a little tricky because what is data? How do you determine what is data? How do you determine what is valid data? Okay? If it's not in front of your nose, then somebody else has to mediate that information from where it actually happened to you. And that person can take that information and change it and falsify it to his benefit. So you got to Whatever you do when you investigate something, you have to, your first goal has to be to eliminate as many middlemen as possible. If you can, if you can, if there was a murder and you want to investigate it, the best thing is for you as a reporter or journalist to be there actually at the morgue and check the body yourself, feel the pulse yourself and see that this person is dead, take a photo of that person that's dead get an autopsy on that person if it's available, and then uh, make sure that that person's uh, identity matches to the identity of the person that they say that actually died. That's the way you determine a death. Not by, oh, somebody on TV told us that 3,000 people died, and here is their names, and you have to accept it at face value because we have people checking for us. We have people double-checking. We have people triple-checking, so you peons out there, you don't need to send your investigative reporters anywhere. You don't need to send your even your truthers or whoever anywhere to actually go there and check to see if actual people are dead or not, to actually see if the these people have real relatives or not. So all that stuff you have to keep in mind, all right? And the first thing you got to know about 911 is that how do you, how, most people in the world, billions of people in the world were told on their TVs, mainly on their TVs, uh, you know, a few people on their radios and uh, newspapers or whatever, a few millionaire in there, that planes, four planes were hijacked and crashed into different parts of the U.S. East Coast, in the, into the Pentagon, into Shanksville, and into the two towers representing 11, the 11 of 911, the two towers, 911, you know, the two the, the symbols of the manhood of the entire USA. 
they crashed them into the stars and they came down into their footprints all by themselves. And this, you know, because we showed you a video. We showed you a video that proves that these planes flew into those towers. Meanwhile, they don't tell you anything about those planes. They don't tell you about the videos in order to theorize, in order to have a theory of what happened. Of course, their official theory is the most ridiculous one, that those two planes fell, flew in there and the, uh, the, the steel beams of, the, of this huge building were melted by the uh, jet fuel from the jumbo jets. And it came down into its footprint, which is impossible. First of all, first of all, it's impossible for those uh, for those uh, for the heat generated by the burning of the jet fuel to even bend the steel beams significantly. Never mind uh, break them and bring them down into their footprint. Second, it only happens on the levels where the plane supposedly hit. It's not like the jet fuel uh, flowed everywhere. That is out automatically. But the more important thing is the videos. How do you know the videos are? The first thing you got to do before those videos are even accepted, you have to authenticate those videos. You got to see if are these videos real? Are these real depictions of the event or not? And once you go and you check those videos, you see that they're ridiculous. First of all, to even say that you can fly a plane at 500 miles an hour, they said that over here they said that the official 911 fable is that at 8 846 30 they even have the second down flight 11 crashes at roughly 466 miles per hour 790 kilometers per hour into the north face of the north tower WTC1 of the World Trade Center between floors 93 and 99 so it's only on six or seven floors, okay? And at 466 miles an hour, that speed is not even achievable at that altitude, first of all. But that's beside the point because the videos are fake, okay? That speed is not even achievable because the, the, the plane automatically starts breaking at that altitude if you go that fast at that altitude. Then at 9.03.02, flight 175 crashes at about 590 miles per hour, okay? 950 kilometers per hour into the south face of the South Tower, 2 WTC of the World Trade Center, between floors 77 and 85. So this is only about eight floors and the other is about six floors. So what happened to Tower 1? I mean, after, after Tower 1, so you mean to tell me that after the plane hit Tower 1, all the supposed occupants of Tower 2, they just stayed in the building for, what is it, like 17 minutes doing nothing, just watching the show in the other building? I mean, what are they doing? Wouldn't they be running out of the building and uh, trying to escape it? So 17 minutes later, they're saying that Another plane crashed and killed even more people in the other one, in the other tower, which is ridiculous. And there's no video of anybody running out of the buildings, a swarm of people. You know, they're saying that there, were, there was 50,000 people in those buildings. There's no video of any of this. And then in 9, on 9.37, Flight 77 crashes into the western side of the Pentagon at 530 miles an hour. 
There's nothing there. There's there's not even a picture or a video for that one, uh, even a fake one. And the South Tower of the World Trade Center at 9.58 collapses first. So the one that got hit second collapses first, 56 minutes. So 56 minutes, you got 56 minutes, and supposedly all these people are trapped up there. By the way, we have the phone calls from the buildings from inside these supposed burning, as well as burning, supposed burning buildings with uh, lots of heavy smoke inside. You have all the phone calls, the people that are in there supposedly trapped and they can't go anywhere. And supposedly in a few minutes, they're going to be so trapped and it's, the heat is going to be so hot that they're going to try to jump out the window and they're going to become one of those jumpers. Oh, all these people are trapped inside, but on all the phone calls, not even one cough. How is that possible? Not one cough here, not one cough there. Nobody even coughed. But these people are supposed to be in the buildings, all trapped, and 3,000 of them got killed. Okay? Now, are you still there? Yeah, I think my, um, my hypothetical interlocutor who's come to you and said, Neg, I'm open-minded about 9-11. Tell me what happened. I think after that, he'd probably say, you know what? I'm going to go back to believing in, uh, believing in TV, and maybe the Ariana Grande bombings were real. Because to the average person, the idea that they could fake planes going into buildings, that they could fake some or all of the 3,000 dead, that's far too far for them. I think the idea that they could fake Osama bin Laden or that maybe bin Laden wasn't what we were told he was, some of them can probably deal with that. Sorry for the noise in the background, by the way. I live uh, very close to a main road, so you might be able to hear the trucks in the background. But the idea that the guy behind it all might have been faked or embellished I think they can get their head around that. But once you start talking about uh, 3,000 not really dying or the planes not really going into buildings, it just becomes far too much yeah, for yeah. the average person because you know they're, they're in this paradigm of if it's on TV, it's probably real. Yeah. And even if it's a lie, someone would have told us by now. How on earth could you get away with pretending that planes went into buildings? Somebody would have told us by now because in their mind, the TV's job is to tell them the truth. So if one TV network lies... The other TV networks will tell you the truth or, you know, they've got it in their mind that they can't be lied to because they're in this mindset of there's so many of us. How could they lie to all of us? But of course, if you study group psychology, you know that the bigger the group, the easier it is to lie to them because all of them think the same thing. They're like, well, if we were being lied to right now, someone would put their hand up and explain it. You know what I mean? So, so they feel they've got strength in numbers, but it's this false faith in numbers. It's like, well, there's millions of us. They couldn't have used a TV to lie to millions of us. Therefore, they didn't lie. But if every one of you is thinking the same way, can you see how easy it is to lie with the TV? It's too easy. It's incredibly That's easy. Nonsense. It's a psychological game. They always think there's a watcher watching the watchers, and we don't have to watch the watchers. You know? In other words, we have somebody out there watching the watchers. They assume this without having proof of it, that somebody's double-checking all the stuff, there's got to be all these scientists and engineers and really smart people checking on all this stuff and double-checking it. So I don't have to do it. So if it's on TV, there's got to be true. But the thing is, uh, I jumped the gun a little bit on that because I forgot for a second that you had me addressing a completely uh, a newbie, uh, somebody that's just barely into it, into investigating these things. I thought for a second I was addressing more knowledgeable suckers of the uh, gatekeep, gate-kept variety that are into the 
alternative media version of the events from Alex Jones and Loose Change on the downline. But let me let me just take you back to Arthur Conan Doyle. And once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Okay. So okay, what is the impossible that we must eliminate as, when it comes to the 911 event? Okay, it is impossible for jet fuel to melt steel beams. End of story. It is impossible. So that is impossible. The collapse is impossible. Sure, but they've already got their pre-programmed response ready. It's like, well, that the jet uh, the jet fuel didn't melt the steel beams; it weakened them, and it was because they were weakened that they were able to collapse. Like your average uh, normie has already been; they've already got the response to what you just said uh, programmed into their heads. Yes, but even if that's true, they wouldn't collapse into their own footprint. They would lean over and be collapse that way. Even if that was true, which is not true, it would they would collapse that way. Second, what other thing is impossible? Okay, it is impossible for a plane that does two big, huge both the planes that hit the WTC towers were 967s. The 967 jumbo jet has 3 million parts on each. Okay, 3 million parts on each. There's 1.5 million for the 757. The Shanks wheel and the Pentagon were 757s, supposedly. And the WTC crashes were 767s. 3 million parts on each. Each one it can be has a number on it, can be identified and tracked to the plane that it came from. What do you see in the videos? You see a plane come out of nowhere and the plane path, even the plane, uh, the path for the first impact, all you see is a plane going behind the building, first of all. You know, you see these planes coming in, they go into the towers, even in the amateur videos that came later, there was only like one or two uh, uh, live videos, and then there was a whole bunch of amateurs that came later. You know, that, that for, for the second plane, there was a whole bunch of people supposedly filming, and all of them turned out to be fakes. But a plane cannot go into the, a building at the same, in, the, with the, in the same number of frames that it takes that it, for it to go through air, okay? If it goes through the air in this many frames, then it has to slow down. There has to be more frames into the in the in the, in the building. It has to slow down in the building. If it's the same number of frames outside the building, same number of frames after the plane enters the building, then that's a fake. Okay. The second thing that makes it a fake, the main thing is parts got to fall off. There's three million parts on every single plane on every single three seven sixty seven. There's 60 miles of wiring, 120 miles, 90 miles of wiring on the 767. All that stuff has got to fall off the building, this steel and concrete building. This It all just slides right into the building like, like a ghost, like a knife cutting through butter in the same number of frames as it goes through air. Not a single part out of 3 million falls off. Nothing. So how is that in any way video of a real plane? For in any real court of law, in any honest court of law, that would be just thrown right out. You know, the fact that no court even takes this case 
just shows you how corrupt the courts of the U.S. are, how controlled the court and the criminal justice system is. That a case like this, so obvious, so easy to prove fake, nobody even takes the case because basically every the, the people who run the country did it. They run the system. They run the insurance companies. They probably even paid out the, the funny money to Silverstein for his insurance payout. They probably even did that. So people are saying, oh, oh, how can the insurance companies pay this guy this money if it was fake? Well, the insurance companies are owned by the same people that ran this stupid PSYOP. That's why. And Silverstein was in on it. So all they did was transfer some numbers, some computer entries from their account of funny money. And it's not even doesn't even represent any real wealth. It's just funny money printed from thin air. They transferred it down to Silverstein's account. And they gave a big fuck you to everybody in the truth movement. Hey, you think you busted Silverstein on on uh, this Building 7? We pulled it on PBS or whatever. Yeah, look, we're going to give him his insurance money and rub your nose in it. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. Sure, but if we rewind it a little bit, if we go back just to the, even to the planes, you're saying the planes can't travel at that speed, at that altitude. A lot of people don't understand how much more dense the air is down here at sea level than it is up at cruising altitude. It's about three times more dense down here because air is kind of like a liquid. And so the more dense it is, the more difficult it is to travel through it, especially at speed. That's why the planes fly at the altitude that they do because it's less dense up there. They can glide more easily. Uh, This is just basic aerodynamics. A lot of people will never have heard this idea that planes down at sea level can't travel at that speed stable they can't do it they haven't heard this idea before and their response to you would be if what you're saying is true how come a pilot hasn't come out and said this or how come airlines haven't come out and said it's important like their response to you would be why haven't i heard this before and it comes back to what i said earlier people have it in their mind that if something is wrong someone is going to tell them they really believe that it's other people's jobs. It's the government or the media or the truth movement or whoever that is that they believe in. They believe someone would have told them by now. And so even just basic concepts like, do you really think it's physically possible for the planes to do what they did? Of course I think it is. They've never questioned it. These things haven't been questioned. And I really can't blame them for it, Nick, because up until a few years ago, I'd never questioned stuff like this. Do you know what I mean? I try and keep this in my mind as much as I can. Up until a few years ago, I'd never question this stuff. Why would you? Why would you... Why would the regular person who's just leading his life, why would he stop and think, hold on a minute, can planes actually travel at that speed, at that altitude, with enough stability to target a building? Like, is that, is that even, why would they question this stuff? Is where I'm trying to go with this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there are pilots that question it, but you're not going to hear about them. It's only on the internet, on some corner of the internet. The ones that do question it, they might get some minor airtime, maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. They say something, they're dismissed as conspiracy theorists, conspiracy nuts, like Jim Fetzer was on Fox and Morgan Reynolds was on Fox and both those guys are no planers. Of course, they get laughed at. And you got Kevin Barrett and a couple of people on Fox. They bring these people on, they ridicule them and then they send them on their way because it's the dominant ideas that are going to take hold in people's minds and they're going to program them, not the fringe ideas. 
So it doesn't matter if Fetzer comes on for five minutes. doesn't matter where – even if Simon Shaq went on there for 10 minutes and got Fox – 10 minutes of Fox airtime, even if you went on there, it would make no difference because it's a numbers game. It's a – for about 90% of the time, they're giving them the lie. And about five minutes uh, – Five to ten percent of the time, they might bring some truthful people to put in a few, a few baits in in different directions, like a few, a few things in to sweeten the pie to make the, to to make the, to sweeten the deal to make it seem like they're actually telling you some truths, you know, to well, bait you into their traps. Yeah. Well, we need to put a line under this one. So let me just go through a few of the main ideas of nine eleven. I'll tell you where I'm standing. You tell me where you see it. And then we'll move on to the next topic. Firstly, with 9-11, we're told that a guy called Osama bin Laden was responsible for what happened that day. And he helped or trained or funded or organized or coordinated or something these 19 people in the U.S. who hijacked the planes, flew them into buildings, flew them into the Pentagon, flew them into Shanksville, Tennessee, or wherever it is, and uh, thousands of people died. Let's go through a bit by bit then. Osama bin Laden... I am not convinced that this person ever existed. They might have had people who they called Osama bin Laden. It might have been one person. It might have been several. There might have even been an Osama bin Laden. I'm open-minded to that possibility as well. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't have any definitive evidence that there was ever this guy called Osama bin Laden, a real physical Osama bin Laden. There was definitely a character, but was that character of a real person or was he purely a character? The truth is... I don't know, but I'm definitely not. No, convinced. I don't know. Nobody knows. Ninety percent, a hundred percent of the ninety-nine point nine nine nine. Almost everybody in the world has heard his name. Doesn't know because nobody's seen him in person, and nobody's even seen him give a speech or anything like that. He might exist. He might not exist. Who the hell cares? It's all a bullshit story anyway. None of it makes any sense. The official story is the most ridiculous one. And it's just absurdity piled on top of absurdity. I think with 911, they tried to figure out how much bullshit, how much garbage can we feed people and still get away with it. And they're probably still laughing about it today. Well, it's like uh, in that book Animal Farm by George Orwell or Eric Blair or call you uh, whatever, call him whatever you like. It's like Snowball, you know, the, the enemy that we all know about. He's, um, he's the one that we talk about He's the evil guy, or is it Goldstein in 1984? You know, there are these bad guys that are put on the screen and everyone hates them. Never, No one's ever met these people, but everyone hates them. He's the enemy guys. This one is the one that's responsible for all of the problems, you see? And that's what Osama bin Laden is to me. Might have been a real guy, might not have been, but he is the, he's the easily identified bad guy who is responsible for all the bad things that happened that day. But I'm just not sure if he ever existed. Sounds like you're not either. Now let's move on to the uh, the attacks. The planes went into buildings. You know, two planes went into the World Trade Center towers. Another plane went into the Pentagon. Another plane crashed into Shanksville, Tennessee. Me personally, I don't believe any planes were hijacked that day. They might have been. Again, I'm open-minded, but I've seen no evidence that that is the case. And just from a basic uh, physical perspective, like you were explaining, the idea of flying those planes at that height Seems very implausible to hijacked me. Hijacked and done with. Well, if they were hijacked, what do they do with the planes? What would they do with the planes they hijacked them? What would be the purpose of it to hijack them and then fake the videos at the same time and have all these fake videos, ridiculous videos with not a single part falling off these ghost planes that go through these buildings and 
the, what would be the purpose of the hijack planes if they were going to fake all the videos anyway? It would have served no purpose whatsoever. Yeah, so there's no need for them to do it. If if we're coming at this from the perspective of the whole thing was was fake, then obviously they wouldn't need to. But coming from yeah. the perspective of, well, maybe the, the official story has validity, what I'm saying is that even if that were the case, I've seen no evidence that these planes were hijacked. I've seen the news stories saying that, but they're just news stories. I've seen no evidence that any planes were hijacked. I don't believe that part of the story, and I don't believe the part of them being flown into buildings... Let's move on to the buildings then. We're told that the buildings collapsed from, uh, from weakening of the structural integrity due to the heat caused by the fires. And then they collapsed in, I guess, like a pancake fashion. And, uh, and that's what happened. Me personally, I don't believe that story for a second. Neg, what say you? No, it's just ridiculous on its face. It, the heat can't do it. And the pancaking is absolutely absurd. That anybody can think that something like uh, a few floors can just bring their weight down on 80 floors below and make it all crash into its own footprint, just like a perfect demolition. And if that if it was so easy to do it, then you wouldn't need demolition teams at all. There wouldn't be this big business of going around and demolishing buildings everywhere, and they wouldn't have explosive experts and all these people that train for it for who knows how many years before they know how to do it perfectly. It's a big, there's an art to these things. It's not just hit a building with a plane and watch it pancake it to, it to its own footprint. Just anybody that even claims that should be laughed out of existence. I mean, and the entire media is claiming it, and most of the people in the world are claiming that. And that should, that should show you that you're basically living in an insane asylum with the freaking... Uh, the inmates are running the asylum, but well, not really as much as they think. The inmates are there. The the elites are running an inmate for us and are, are running an asylum for us. And the few people we're trying to escape me, you and a few people are, you know, the matrix metaphor comes in uh, handy here, which is these guys are the matrix. This is the ridiculous matrix. It's an irrational matrix that they're living in. And we're trying to poke holes through it and get out. That's all we're doing. Well, it sounds like we're both on the same page then. These buildings, probably not pancaking due to office fires or uh, jet, jet fuel or anything like that. Now, this is where it gets really difficult for some people, even people who can open their mind to the possibility that, yeah, I mean, I did see the planes on TV, but I see lots of things on TV that aren't real. So I guess they, I guess in theory that could be made up. But how about all the dead people? You know, like... The buildings did come down and 3,000 people did die, didn't they, Nick? Oh, what are all those people doing in there? What were they doing in there? All those people were in the building, the second building. I, just like I told you with the timeline, the first plane hit, after the first plane hit, the se- supposedly hit, the second supposed plane, it took 17 minutes to hit the second tower. The official story is, the official story is that those people were told that there's no danger that they that they should stay calm and there's no danger for a, for a, it was in the first tower the other tower so they don't have to run out of that tower the second tower so a whole bunch of other people died in the second tower a whole bunch of other people died in the second tower so they're, they're trying to make you believe this that for 17 minutes I mean what would your reaction be if you were in the second tower and the other tower right next to you got hit by a plane You'd be running out of that tower, running for your life, right? 
you're trying to get the hell out of there. You wouldn't be sitting there looking out your window like it was a like it was an event, like it was a something like a show you went to or something, right? You wouldn't do that. You'd be running out of there. None of these people are in, running out of there. None of these people are. There's no video of thousands of people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, anybody running out of those towers, any of those towers. There's only video of some people on the street, on the street, away from the towers, running, supposedly running from the towers and looking up towards the towers that they manufactured later. That's all you got. You don't have any video of like a whole shitload of people, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. They said 50,000 people were in there running out of those towers. So what if all these people were just dummy companies with people that they set up with fake names to go to work there for a whole year? They got paid off. And then on the day that they're going to pull this sigh up, they just went home back to their original identities. The fake names stayed, the fake names died, the fake identities died, and all these people went home. All right? What's the big deal about that? Who's going to find out about that? Does anybody investigate that? No. All they need is a few, maybe like 10, 20 different people, like Bob McElvain and a couple of other people, to pretend that they're relatives of dead people, go around and pretend that they're relatives of dead people. And most people are just going to assume that, oh, yeah, 3,000 people died and there's the 10,000 relatives and uh, the friends that got paid off, whatever relatives that got paid off by Feinberg and this fake, totally fake compensation, all this, just numbers passing back and forth on a computer. That's all it is. Nobody's really getting paid off. And all these people are getting, no fake people are getting paid off. And if they are getting paid off, their identities are being changed. They're giving given new identities. Uh, to do a uh, fake identities to do a psyop they act in the psyop or they lend their image to the psyop they don't even have to do that because a lot of these people are just faked from scratch they never even existed as people under a different name never mind that fake name that might be given to you as you fake being a victim See what I mean? Well, if we rewind a, it a little bit, I mean, people believe in this 3,000 notion, but again, I just come down to what evidence do I really have that 3,000 people died? And again, I've got the news telling me that. That's none, the, none. That, you got nothing. Well, yeah, yeah you got the nothing. truth is I've got, I've got none. So if I go and look for the evidence and I go, well, there should be a list of these names and there should no, be... No, 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 no. Not list. You should, have, you should be able to, at the very least, have an autopsy. I mean, there's a lot of people that say the way that question the Waco incident you know the Waco incident where the government torched all those people at Waco correction all those guys but if you go to the Waco Holocaust Museum there's autopsies of most of the people that died over there there at least they have the autopsies with 911 you don't have autopsies you don't have bodies you don't have uh, the names are off the images there's a, a ton of Photoshopped images of people. There's photoshopped firefighters. There's photoshopped uh, police officers. There's photoshopped all kinds of victims are photoshopped. Some of them don't even exist. There's fake, what do you call it, the uh, relatives going around pretending that their son died, like Bob McElvain, and there's only three or four photoshopped images of his supposed dead son on the entire internet. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
Yeah, so I mean, if I'm trying to verify the claim of 3,000, if I decide, well, I can't just trust the news, I probably should just go and see how much solid evidence there is for some of these claims, I'm going to find that maybe there aren't all of these documented deaths, as I've been told. There aren't all of these different photos. If I go to the online memorials, I'm going to find that some of the photos looked a little bit dodgy, and then eventually I might come to the... All uh, of them. All of them. Yeah, All of them look yeah. <laughs> Eventually, that might be the, the conclusion I come to. And again, for someone who is, is, who is new to the idea of media fakery, like, this is just far too far for them to even think it's possible. Like, no way could you fake 3,000 people being dead. Maybe a few here or a few there, but how could, you, how could you fake 3,000 people being dead? What's someone would have busted deal? you by now. Someone would have come along and, and blown, the, blown the whistle on this. You can't fake 3,000 people being dead, can you? Yeah, who's, who, who are they even asking you? Who's you? Who are they asking about? The people that ran, ran this psyop, they have an unlimited supply of money. So money is no object to them. I mean, to fake 3,000 names, how hard is that? You know, at, at most, you would have to hire 3,000 people to just give them a new identity to go to these jobs and pretend that they died and then go back to their original identity and nobody knows about them. Plus, they'll get extra insurance from the CIA, FBI, whatever, that anybody bothers them, any investigative reporter like John LeBon or somebody uh, uh, or John Friend or somebody like that just sticks their nose into it and tries to find out if they're real or not, if they're real people or not. They give them a boot in the ass and tell them not to come around anymore or they're going to jail. That, that'll stop it in its tracks. Sure, what where I'm, do you where have I'm to... going with this, Nick, is that the fact that we are so incredulous, like the fact that we think, no, there's no way that you could do that, is what is going to stop people from even wasting their time. In their mind, it's wasting their time looking into these things. It's the fact that no one's actually going to look into these things, which makes it so easy to pull them off. Like where I'm going with this is, forget the alternative stories or people saying, no, this is what happened, this is what happened. If you just think of it from the regular person's perspective, who has trusted news up until this point, deciding for themselves, well, forget what the news tells me. Let's go and look for the evidence. The moment that they start looking, they realize that it's a lot more difficult to find the evidence. They're going to be hit with this idea of, but if the evidence isn't there, someone, someone would have... There's no way that you can fake, like in their mind, it's impossible. So they're not going to look further. It's that, that's that aspect of human nature. This, this, this idea that we just cannot accept that someone could tell such a major lie, we're not going to look any further because no one's looking. It's that easy to pull it off is where I'm going with this. It's that easy. And again, this took me a long time to get my head around. So someone who came into all of this knew, I'd be amazed if they could get their head around it that quickly. For me, this took, this took time. I had, to see piece of, I had to see an example after an example after an example of how easy it is for whoever controls the TV to fool people before I could get my head around this idea of, oh, yeah, maybe they could lie about something like 3,000 deaths. I'm at the point now where I think maybe someone died that day. Maybe. I'm open-minded, but I've seen zero evidence that that's the case. None whatsoever. So we go through this bit by bit by bit, and if I'm just looking at the actual evidence I've got, so far the only evidence I've got is what I saw on TV. I've got a movie. That's all I've got at this point in time. All I have is a movie on my TV screen, and a fake other. movie, a, a fake, fake movie, not a not a documentary of anything, not an actual uh, recording of an event, but a fake movie. That's all you got. Well, that's that's all I've got is what's on the screen, 
and then some official reports. Officially, we've got the 9-11 report from the government or from whichever agency was responsible for writing it. Officially, I've got some official documentation, but in terms of actual primary evidence, I've got nothing. I've got zero about what happened that day. Now, for me, that's not enough to go and convince others to change their beliefs, and we'll get into that in a moment. But for just me as an individual, I'm quite happy to sit here and say, yeah, I, uh, I used to believe all of it. Now, I don't believe any of it. I'm still open-minded. If people can give me real evidence, I'm happy to hear it, but I don't believe any of what we're told about 9-11. To me, it's just a made-for-TV movie, Nick. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Would you basically agree with those sentiments? Yeah, it's an elaborate made-for-TV movie, and it's not even a well-made movie because they know that it doesn't matter if they if the the special effects are all that good, if this is good, if that's all that good, if that's all that convincing. They know that if they can just trigger the right fear and trauma, if they can trigger those emotions in people, people are not going to make rational sense out of it anyway because every time that the topic comes up, their logical brain closes down, or even if they logically can't analyze it, they won't accept it because they're invested in a different reality. They're invested in the matrix, and they think that they're going to get rewards and money and position out of this living the lie instead of trying to go towards the truth. They see the truth as a danger, the truth as something that's going to ruin this other thing that they're invested in, this bullshit reality that they they think that they're going to get something out of this bullshit reality. But more and more people are realizing that there's nothing there in that in that made-up reality, in that abstracted reality that Babylon has for them. The, that, that Babylon takes its abstractions for reality, is what I read in an anarchist book. And uh, the way that the anarchy manifests itself, the liberated zones of anarchy manifest themselves is by getting into the areas where there, there's reality, like reality zones. Like they, they liberate these little zones of reality that are outside the you know, zones that Babylon has abstracted for itself into the matrix. You know, that's how you get in there. That's how you get in these liberated zones. You created like these little liberated zones, like your website, like some other websites. And all these liberated zones come together in different areas, and they can't track them down. It's not like one city or one county or one area where they can say, okay, these people want more freedom, and they're asserting their freedoms. We're going to go attack them and torch the whole place like Waco or whatever. Every, uh, the, the little zones of freedom, the liberated zones, are popping up everywhere. So there's almost like this natural anarchy happening everywhere that people don't realize and the internet is facilitating it at the same time so much of the internet is mediated so much of the internet has the, um, all these middlemen in the middle that it's going to uh, most of it is going to be controlled just like tv was and you're going to have to rely on rebels and all these other people it's going to be kind of like a black market of the internet in the future you know, they're going to control it to such a degree that and they're going to people are going to have to do hacking and all these uh, secret activities to be able to communicate with each other the way they were able to a few years before. I think it's going to get more and more restricted. Well, you've mentioned a few things there. We can come back to a couple of them, but let's just put a line on 9-11 because we've been going for an hour now and this is a two-hour podcast, so we better move on soon, but... 
just uh, just to put like a, a line under it, I guess there's a lot of stories within the broader story of 9/11. There's a lot of sub stories, and as I go through each one, Osama bin Laden, plane hijacking, uh, building coming down, three thousand dead. As I go through them, I realize I've got no primary evidence whatsoever. And when I go and search for the primary evidence, there's not nearly as much as I would have expected. In fact, a lot of the primary evidence seems to run against the official story. For instance, planes flying at altitude, how stable are they? Can they physically withstand those kinds of speeds, let alone be controllable? A lot of the evidence seems to go against the story. I'm left thinking I can't believe what's on the on the TV screen. Or at least I can believe it, but not if I'm trying to be objective or impartial or uh, sensible about it i can only believe it if i want to go with the official story and let me put this to you neg i think most people around us our neighbors many of our own friends and family their mindset is it's basically true until until proven not true the authority story is reality until you or someone else can convince them otherwise and they don't have time to be convinced they've got life to live they're not really too concerned maybe we can segue into what it is to be human. I want to put to you that maybe humans today, whether this is a natural thing or it's a conditioning thing, most humans, their reality is what the authority says. Like, it's not just what they go by. That's actually how they see the world. What they're told is reality. They they have a different reality to you and I uh, because their mindset is their government and their TV, their news readers... They're there to help them. They know better. This is the truth. Like this, this is the way the world is. And so, if you and I come along and try and change that, we're trying to we're trying to change their reality. And that's why it's it's not going to be successful. I'm sure you've spent a lot of time yourself. I mean, you touched on the Matrix a moment ago. I'm sure you've spent a bit of time thinking about sort of what it is that we're dealing with when we talk to other humans about these topics. Do you have any general points you want to make about that? Yeah, people are trapped into these linguists. They're trapped into these narratives that the media manufactures for them from the uh, from the top to the bottom. The media, the elites manufacture through their think tanks, their psychologists and all these people that they can hire. They manufacture propaganda for the people. Almost everything is done with numbers. There's gematria behind it. All the news stories, most of the news stories are false. You know, there's a lot of false news stories. Any true news story that you can more or less verify is bait for the false ones that are going to come. The big lie that's going to come, that's going to hook you in. And what does it hook you into? It hooks you into this fear matrix. And it hooks you into this area where you're afraid of everything, you're kind of have anxiety all the time, and you're more easy to control. And the media has its narratives, and beyond the media, you, have, you also have the linguistic, tra- uh, linguistic traps of the language itself. Like language also always, beyond the media lies, beyond the control matrix, you also have to purify language. And it, when the language lies, then you have to invent new words, new ways of expressing yourself so that the truth becomes you map out the territory that much better you know all language all symbols are just mapping territories you're using languages symbols metaphors syntax a logical structuring of words to understand different realities and to be able to navigate those realities without fully being able to expose those realities you're you're never like a 
You never map. If you mapped reality completely, it would be another reality. You see what I mean? If it was a one-to-one scale, it would be the reality itself. You see? But you can't. You're always like groping in the dark using concepts, using words, using language, depending on how advanced your language is, depending if you have other means of approaching this, this truth quest that you're on, maybe through music, maybe through harmony, the music, maybe through mat- mathematics, higher mathematics, then with uh, different things. You know, all of it, all of it is through uh, symbols. So you got to also purify that. The language has to be purified, and, of course, the media has to be rejected, criticized, and shown up for what it is, basically a propaganda arm of a occupied government. I mean, it's really occupied by the Israelis, by the elite Jews, the bankers, and the Freemasons that are their lackeys. And basically, that's what it is when you look down through it. And these are the people that own the IMF, own the BIS, Bank of International Settlements, Central Bank of the Central Banks. Uh, they control most, almost all of the central banks of the world. So these people are multi-trillionaires, and they have endless supply of money, and they can basically uh, do psyops, revolution psyops, ISIS, and the, the spelled backwards is sissy, uh, to come and replace oh, Obama bin Biden or whatever the hell the first clown was. And before that, it was the Ayatollah Khomeini to start the whole Muslim, the Muslim-hating festival from the early 80s. (laughs) During the hostage crisis, which, by the way, was 444 days, which is very uh, Jewish gematria number, uh, as exposed by, what's his name, Zach Hubbard. So all of these things connect to each other. You know, all of these things create the narratives and the realities that we all have to... Uh, play the game and we have to you have to dance to these tunes that are put in by these narratives you know and the only freedom you get is by creating your own freedom and creating other freedoms for other people and then if all these other different liberated zones kind of like coalesce together then you have a higher degree of freedom in the world a higher degree of like the uh, win-win dialectic I win you win we are civilized people instead of the win-lose, which is always there and always parasites on the creativity and the productivity of the more civilized people that are getting together. There are a few things. We can come back to a couple of them, such as you know who's, who's running the show and what we can do about it. But just sort of winding our way back, I guess for me, because I still remember what it was like a few years ago when I more or less believed most of, of the official narrative, more or less, and I still mix with people who fully believe that kind of thing. And uh, I can see that usually, usually these people are no less happy than me. You know what I mean? I don't consider myself, um, you know, to be the most uh, happy or blissful or peaceful person. I'm just a regular person. I don't pretend to have found, uh, you know, the, the path to enlightenment or anything like that. I'm just a regular person. And most of these people, even though they fully believe most of what's on TV, they don't really seem any less happy than me. Do you know what I mean? They They wake up, they go to work, they... I watch TV at you know of the evening, and um, they don't. There's no outward um, evidence that I can see that, for the most part, that they're worse off than me. If you can see where I'm going with this, they're not. They might yeah. be. They, maybe I can make that argument if I want to, but I really don't think I'm that much happier than the person who believes the stories. 
And so what I've been thinking about a lot lately is this idea that, you know, look, if I could sit here and say, oh, I'm so happy every day I feel uh, like I'm walking on sunshine and I'm, you know, if, if I could sit here and honestly say that, then maybe I could then say now it's my job or my duty or my right to go and spread that to other people. But in fact... I don't really think I'm any happier than, than the average person. I mean, there's lots of miserable people out there, but there's lots of miserable conspiracy theorists as well. So, you know, you get you get happy people and miserable people. But for me, I'm just like, well, you know, I'm not. I don't really think it's my place to go and to go and explain to the average person, hey, you know, your TV, which you think is there to help you, it's actually telling you silly stories. And I mean, really, that plane, that's obviously fake footage. There's several reasons that we can point to that show that that's fake footage. You shouldn't believe that anymore. I don't really think it's my place to do that uh, because, like I said, I'm not sure it actually is going to make them any better off to stop believing in the stories. And so where I'm going with this, the, the thrust of what I'm saying now is maybe the average person, it's, it's kind of part of human nature to believe the stories. You know, just as if you drive past a paddock, the cows tend to all stick together. Maybe that's how humans are. Maybe Maybe humans tend to want to just go with whatever the others are going with. Maybe that is part of human nature. Focusing on the human nature aspect of this and the way they believe stories, is this something that you've spent much time pondering as well? This idea that maybe they're just better off believing the stories. Maybe that's how they're meant to be. Yeah, but in general, truth, root knowledge, truth, is in general beneficial to human beings because with truth... You can find your way. You can map your destination within the different realms and dimensions of reality. And there's many dimensions you can you can always map. That's why you need the truth. I mean, you need the root knowledge so that you can have a pretty consistent set of beliefs. So, okay, but, so but to, say, to say that, I mean, I mean, people. There are people that avoid the truth, but they still have to rely on the truth discovered by others to enjoy the level of happiness, quote-unquote happiness, that they have. Because if it wasn't for the truth discovered by others, the people in Australia, where you live, wouldn't enjoy half the standard of living that you enjoy so that then their ignorance can be bliss within that environment created by the truth, discovered by other people before them, much smarter than them, that actually cared about things. So they gave them, the, because of them, now they have this extra room to be lazy in. See what I mean? Yeah, but if we just even unpack this idea of, oh, the truth is inherently good, in a way, I'm sure that resonates with all of us. We all like to think that we either have no, no, the no, truth no. or are searching for the truth. But this idea that the truth is inherently good for people, I'm not really so sure I believe that anymore. Like, I'm not so not sure. Not inherently. Not inherently good, but the truth is good. Not all the time, you know, sometimes you can't tell somebody the truth, but not all the time, not 100% of the time, but in general and most of the time, all other things being equal, the truth is better than falsehood. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair enough. Truth being better than falsehood, like generally speaking, again, I'm, I'm totally with you. But if we look at the average person, they, they believe that, for instance, the, this is just one example, the fact that, you know, people can now be entirely promiscuous and there's not as much judgment about it as there used to be, and they're free now. They've got more freedom because in the past, people were they were leading very rigid lives and they were repressed, but now they're very free to explore themselves and do all these things, and 
and they really believe that. And so as their children grow up and start consuming this degenerate uh, mainstream media pop culture, and they know that their children are going to be involved in this degeneracy as well, it makes it easier for them to cope with this reality because they can think, well, you know, the kids are better off now anyway. It's better than it was in the, in the evil, repressed past. You know, my children, they'll go out and they'll, yeah, they might be with the wrong people for a bit, for a bit of time and, you know, they might drink too much and maybe, you know, maybe take some risks and maybe, you know, do some things. But, but ultimately, at least they're free now, you know. Like, it, it makes it easier. This is just one example. It makes it easier in their mind to, to cope with the fact that their children are leading degenerate lives is to think oh but we're lucky this way we're lucky that we're free in this new um you know progressive uh paradigm that we're in you and i might know the truth is that their children are in big 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 trouble big 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 trouble uh the degeneracy is going to have bad effects on them today and going forward you and i might know that we might even have statistical evidence which shows the people who sleep around before marriage are much less likely to have successful stable marriages we might have empirical data to prove that we might have the truth but for that person, he's, there's very little he or she can do. Their, their children are in the degenerate mainstream um, lifestyle now. They can't undo that. They're better off just telling themselves little lies to make it easy to sleep at night. Just to use that as one hypothetical example, which is not just hypothetical. This is happening, you know, you and I know lots of people, I'm sure. I'm sure we both know one or two people who this is what they're doing. They're telling themselves that, that everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. We're better off now. Can you see how I might say, you know what, that guy, he's better off just believing the, that, he's, that he's better off, that the that degeneracy today is, is actually virtue and, and progress. Can you see how he might actually be better off with the lies now since there's nothing he can do to stop what's happening? Oh, yeah, well, what's freedom? I mean, what's, what is the purpose of freedom? The, the purpose of, well, would freedom even be a value if it didn't produce a higher level of happiness for the people that practiced it? If it wasn't a higher level of happiness, then they would have just Sharia law like the Muslims or the Orthodox Jew law that the Jews have or whatever. They would have different kinds of systems instead of the systems that we have in the West. They're still very much controlled and very, uh, there's a lot of tyranny involved. But at the same time, they have more freedoms than everybody else. But what is freedom? I mean, it's, it's, you can define freedom as just freedom of association and that's it. Do sure, but I, have I don't mean to of... get caught up on the on the concept of freedom. I just mean if we think that some people they don't have as much control over their lives or over their children's lives as they might wish, so they might be better off in their minds at least. It might be more comfortable life for them to live, to live believing in lies. So regardless of what freedom really is, if they actually believe, well, my children are better off today, and and these lifestyles they're leading, they're better off than they would have been two generations ago, regardless of what freedom is or isn't. If in their mind things are better today, it makes it easier for them to sleep at night, even if the truth might suggest otherwise, uh, is that person going to be better off? Even if you and I could somehow communicate the truth to him in a way that he understood and internalized, would he be better off with that truth or is he better off being more comfortable believing lies is where, is where I'm going with this? Um, well, you, you can't force somebody else. I mean... You shouldn't be. You shouldn't force yourself, your ideas on other people any more than you force your uh, physical person on other people. There's no reason for you to do it. If they're interested, if they show some interest, then you can talk to them about it. But otherwise, I mean, what the hell is your problem going and uh, bashing somebody over the head with something that they never even solicited from you? They never even asked you to. It's like a 
a salesman coming out of nowhere and trying to sell you something on the street. I mean, what the hell is your problem? I mean, what would you even... That's the whole Alex Jones promotion of doing stuff like this. You know, that Alex Jones loose change promotion of going out there and just accosting everybody on the street and trying to force feed them the so-called quote-unquote truth. That's ridiculous. All right, then. If let me, somebody let me give it a different example then, all right? So I've used this example before. So I've played a little bit of sport in my time, never at high levels, but I've played enough of it to get a feel for the kind of people who like sport and the kind of personalities who play footy or play cricket or what have you. And I've met some really cool people through doing it. I've also met some oddballs as well. And I remember one guy who I played with, he was uh, he was an okay footballer, but he was not a superstar. But in his, in his mind, he was one of the best players that um, that never made it. You know what I mean? He was one of the best players. He really believed it. And to me, it seemed as though he actually performed better, believing that he was so good. Like every game, he had to live up to this false idea he had in his head that he was the best. And it seems to me he was better off believing that he was the best. He wasn't, but because he believed it, that might have been something that led him to, to play better. And so since I was on the same team as him, uh, why would I ever want to explain to him, well, you know, just statistically, there are other players in this very division who are, who are doing better than you. But why would I want to explain that to him if, if in his mind, the belief that he held on to, while not true, while actually objectively not true, uh, insofar as we believe in objective, uh, objective truth, why would I want to take that belief away from him? If it led to a better performance in, in his life and if it made him happier, why, why would I say, well, the truth is inherently better than stories, so I'm going to try and... like, How is he better off knowing the truth than he is believing his stories? Just to use that one example, a man who believes something that's not true, but it makes him perform better in something that's important to him and it makes him happier... Uh, and it gives him maybe some identity as well. He's, he identifies as a good footballer. What, how is he better off knowing the truth that he's actually, you know, slightly above mediocre in a very low division of local football? How is the truth good for him? That, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at here. The truth isn't good for him in the short term, that's for sure. It might be good for him in the long term. The, the, the short-term, long-term dichotomy is, I mean, human beings have to deal with that. There's a lot of things that in the short-term are to your benefit or seem to your benefit that in the long-term are very hurtful. For example, drinking. I mean, a lot of people drink all the time. Now they drink. Oh, it's, it's to my benefit. I'll be more social. I'll be more friendly with people. I'll go socialize. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll party. I'll have a good time. But then 10 years down the line, you pay for it. If, if you just face the truth that alcohol is poison and don't put it in your body and instead uh, vaporize cannabis or something, which is much healthier for you and got the same, more or less the same results from that, then 10 years down the line, because you face that truth, you'll be a lot healthier. So it's all the long-term, short-term weighing, weighings in that a lot of people don't even bother about that. I mean, that's, that's only in more advanced civilizations that people actually plan for the future and actually try to reach goals in the future. And the truth is basically the root knowledge that guides your way to the right beliefs, the right leaves of belief. You know? is that if you don't have the root knowledge, your leaves are going to be uh, poisoned and you're not going to have good fruit. Well, I suppose if we, if we apply that to the, the footballer uh, example, like I suppose, yeah, if he, if he could somehow know 
actually there are a lot of things that about your game that need improvement you're not you're not even close to the best uh in the in the league let alone the you know the the world you know what i mean you're not even close so like if he could then take that knowledge and then work on it like actually try and find out his deficiencies work on his game uh that could be beneficial longer term like it might hurt him at first but he could so like in theory the truth could be useful if he was going to put that into practice but that kind of leads to to the next problem i see which is that in this scene in particular, there are a lot of people who don't actually seem to be making any genuine effort to change their lives in a positive way. They will watch videos on YouTube, they will listen to podcasts, they might even read an article or two, but in terms of the way they lead their lives, there's no real benefit. They, they'll tell themselves there is, they'll tell themselves that they're happier or that they're more peaceful or they've got new friends now who they can talk to on Google Hangouts or Skype or whatever. Like they can convince themselves that they're better off. But in terms of simple objective metrics, like observable metrics, such as are they exercising more seriously? Not just, oh yeah, I walked two weeks ago. No, are they actually exercising more? Are they eating better? Are they spending more time trying to get away from bad things like computer addiction or like alcohol is a good example. These metrics that can be measured I'm going to put to you, Neg, that we're in a scene that is full of people who want, they want to feel like they're improving, but the objective metrics suggest otherwise. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, they don't even have freedom of association, but you can't have true freedom of any kind without media control. If the media is controlling their subconscious minds and they're tied to that media, their their umbilical cord is to that mass media which is what six multinational big huge corporations controlling everything all the media of the world 93 percent of the media of the world i think it is so that media basically programs their subconscious and defines the boundaries of what narratives they're going to function in what mistakes they're going to make what idiocies they're going to engage in and everything else what stupid foods they're going to put in their system what uh, toxic recreational drugs they're going to consume all of it it defines all of it for them and through the media so you're never going to have any kind of freedom worth the worth the name of it unless you have media control unless you don't allow media monopolies and any media monopolies that are there get immediately identified and then destroyed dispersed into like a hundred different medias that are replacing it that are not that are given a different message for different enclaves of people those uh, free and autonomous zones that you got to create sure but that's looking at the macro level like you're looking at the broader society i just mean in terms of the individuals who make up the alternative scene or the the truth scene or whatever you want to call it, this little fringe element of the internet. And I use fringe merely as a descriptive, uh, like a neutral value term. I don't mean fringe is in bad or good. I just mean that's what it is. This is a small part of the internet. And if you look at the individuals who comprise it, what I'm suggesting to you is that they could quite easily, and easily I mean is in, in the physical sense, they could eat less bad food, drink less alcohol or do less other drugs, they could spend more time out in nature, exercising. They could spend more time yes. trying to listen to those around them, even though they know those around them still believe silly stories on TV. Still understanding, but they're humans and it, like they're your family or your friends. Like just instead of trying to tell them what is true, just just listen well, to their stories as humans. It means a lot to a human that another human 
listens and, and sounds like they're caring. So there are things that, that we can do. And what I'm trying to suggest to you is that most, and this is my anecdotal experience, most of the people in this scene, they're not actually improving their lives genuinely in any verifiable way. That's what I'm suggesting to you. Have you have you seen this yourself or do you, do you well, disagree? Because, like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because they're not, they don't really have possession of enough truths for them to improve their lives. They're basically caught in a different set of lies that are somewhat a little bit more truthful than the, the, the lies of the general public, but they're over on this Alex Jones and a loose change or regular alternative media side of things, thinking they know more, but they're basically probably more unhappy than the average normie or whatever you call them. I don't get I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. But to improve yourself in every any way that is even reasonably longer term, like six months down the line or a year, would require for you to know a higher a, a portion of root knowledge of truth than you do today hopefully and if you do then you will improve yourself because the truth will show you the way sure but you don't need to be like no one needs to be uh, a scholar or a genius or even like a research enthusiast to know no, that, no, no, to no, know no. that drinking to excess is they bad have for to. you or to know that eating processed food is bad for you or to know that not exercising for days on end is... Like, a lot of this stuff is very basic, and yet I'm suggesting that a lot of us, and I'm guilty as just as guilty as anybody else, a lot of us, we're not taking the small steps that we could take. There's, there's no one forcing me to eat bad food. There's no one forcing anyone listening to this right now to drink another bottle of uh, spirits tonight. There's no one stopping any of us from going out tomorrow and going for a long one-hour walk. There's, there's no one stopping us. Like, what I'm suggesting is that I think a lot of people, they want to believe there's a bad boogeyman out there, whether it's Bin Laden or it's the government or it's the IMF or it's the Jews or it's the Freemasons or whoever. And we want to believe there's someone else out there who is responsible for things being bad because it or takes time away... time itself. The ultimate tyrant is time itself. If nothing gets you, time is eventually supposed to get you and you're supposed to... The big guy upstairs is supposed to hit you with something and you're supposed to drop dead, right? Time itself is the ultimate tyrant. And then so ultimate question would be what is time? How is time created? How is the perception of time created? That's one of the ultimate philosophical questions. Sure, sure. And I'd, I'd love to get to the question of time with yeah. you. But, but again, time, most people listening to this right now, whether it's on the bus on the way to work or it's while they're uh, coming home from work, or maybe they're driving to go and visit family or whatever, whoever's listening to this, they're probably going to be alive tomorrow and the day after. And so it's up to them to decide what they're going to do with the day. Now, if they decide, oh, I'm too tired to go for a walk today, and I'm, I'm, I'd rather, I'm hanging out with some friends, they're all drinking beer, so I'm going to drink beer, and oh, we, might, we might have some, um, some chips and what have you, just to relax, it's just one day, they're making that decision. And so every moment that we spend pointing the fingers at other people for the world being bad, it's like, well, our own world, we have control over. And so what I've been talking about recently is this idea of externalizing our problems. It's like, oh, well, my life could be better. I could be healthier. I could be happier. I could be taking better care of myself and those around me. 
I could be, but then I'd have to change my behavior. And as humans, we hate changing our behavior. We, we hate it. So instead, I'm going to point the finger at someone. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to the conspiracy scene. They're looking for someone to point fingers at. Things didn't work out for them the way they wanted. Now they want to point fingers at somebody. Well, hey, here's a guy with a YouTube channel. He's pointing the fingers at the Jesuits. You don't like him? Well, there's some other dude. He's pointing the fingers at the Freemasons. You don't like him? Here's a dude who's pointing his fingers at the Fabians. Oh, you don't like him? He, like, you'll find whoever you want pointing fingers at whoever you want. But what most people don't want to do is look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I need to, I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. I need to spend more time in nature. Because that means changing behavior, and that's what they hate. So rather than change behavior, they just point fingers. Do you, do you think there's any, any truth or validity to, a, to the point that I'm making here? Rather than change behavior, they just point fingers? Well, they would, they would have to want to change the behavior. The behavior would have to give them happiness. Or they would have to have some kind of conception that the behavior might give them happiness. Like, let's say somebody's really fat and women aren't attracted to them. So he figures out, okay, this is something that I know. If I go do this exercise and that exercise, if I sprint up a hill or do this and do that and work my cardio and go to the gym, after a while, I might get into a shape where I might attract more women. So that, that will be his motivation to go exercise. You know? Or after a while, I might, look, I might not look so wimpy and other guys might respect me more. You know, So he might go out and do the exercise. To, to do that, he would have to have the truth that exercise will actually get him where he wants to go. If he went out and he worked out and nothing changed, then he would say, this is bullshit. You know, who came up with this truth that if I ran a mile or if I did this or do that, that I would lose weight? This is not true. Get this out of here. You know, then he would go back to his own uh, whatever he believes in, whatever, however he came by with his beliefs. You see, let me, let me, there's a quote by Machiavelli that's kind of applicable in this. There are three kinds of intelligence. One kind understands things for itself. The other appreciates what others can understand. The third understands neither for itself nor through others. The first kind is excellent. The second, good. And the third kind, useless. <laughs> so unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of the growth of way too many useless people in the world. And that is not by accident. That's through very institutional brainwashing and what you and I are I guess engaged in is trying to understand things for ourselves or at least trying to understand what other people smarter than us have appreciated before us <laughs> the second kind well I listened recently to a video that you sent me about Alan Watts and Alan Watts is someone I've never really spent much time looking into so I thought well you know I respect Neg he sent me this video I'm going to rip it to mp3 and listen to that next time I'm going for a walk and I enjoyed it so I've listened to a bit more since then and I'm not I don't obviously agree with everything the guy says but just as something to get you thinking about ideas I've, I've enjoyed that experience of thinking about some of these concepts you know you, you've touched on a few already today like time what is time or this idea of giving things names you know like as soon as you start trying to identify something in your mind you're separating it from everything else and a lot of us we're in this mindset of everything is discrete and distinct and individual and we've got names for it but how distinct is it how is that thing separate from me i mean these kind of concepts i've enjoyed 
thinking about them and I guess um, taking a break from some of the other podcasts I listen to where it is there's a lot of this idea of oh there's a truth movement or oh there's these identifiable enemies or whatever I'm starting- events and people events and people they discuss events and people which is uh, the second rate mind I'm not saying I'm necessarily a first rate mind or you're necessarily a first rate mind I would think you're a first rate mind but well, Socrates said that the first-rate mind discusses ideas. The second-rate mind discusses events, and the, only the third-rate mind discusses people. So, the, if you discuss, the more you discuss ideas, the more it shows that you're at least a, a real thinker. Yeah, well, I mean, we like to think that. We like to think that we are thinking about ideas, and I think what's happened with this internet, especially with Google Hangouts, which really are a relatively recent phenomenon. We're talking two or three years, but at at this point in time, in this alternative scene, if we can just call it that, they've they've come to take over, especially on YouTube. This is where people are spending time now. And they watch and they partake and they tell themselves that they're engaged in a genuine process of learning or research or what have you. But I'm not really sure there's much learning or research going on. And I think one of the things I've been guilty of is because I'm surrounded by this, because I'm surrounded by these people who are really just here for something to do, or to feel good, or to look for someone to blame, I found myself getting dragged down to that level. And I think there's lots of people out there, they're also guilty of this, just like I am, of, well, these are the people that are out there, they seem interested in these topics, so we'll give them our time. But really, these people are not going to help us in any way, and that's evidenced by the fact that they're not helping themselves in any way, Neg. And I think maybe going forward, I'm going to try and be more I'm going to try and put more of a value on my time and think, well, if this person can't even help themselves, they're probably not going to be able to help me. So I might more going forward try and start off with, okay, how have you improved your life though? Like, let me know what you've done. What can I learn from you about actually improving your life, not improving your life in your mind. I mean, in objective reality, insofar as it's real, in the material world, what have you done uh, with this knowledge that you now think that you've got to improve your world how how is your world better because if you don't have any good answers for me that's a huge i mean that's a litmus test isn't it if you haven't made your life better with whatever it is that you think you've learned then how can i make my life better with your information you're someone who's been around for a lot longer than i have in this little scene neg do you think there's validity to this kind of idea of well if people aren't improving their lives with the knowledge maybe i can't improve my life with it what do you think about that if other people are improving their lives with the knowledge, maybe I can improve it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like if, if, if they have not improved their lives with what they claim to be this knowledge that they've got, maybe I'm not going to have much chance of improving my life with it either. Yeah, but that's the whole game, to marginalize all of the so-called truth seekers as losers, as people who live in basements, as people who don't get any uh, ple- uh, pleasure out of life. The real life is over here in the Matrix over here in the narrative, over here where uh, you pay 30% taxes, uh, 40% taxes every year, extorted, and you still think you're free, blah, blah, blah. Come on over here, and this is where the winners are, and that's where the losers are. You see over there where the September clues is, where the fakeologist is, where uh, all these conspiracy theory nuts are, that's where the losers are. You don't want to go there. That's the whole a push of the media narrative if if they can just marginalize everybody over here then it's fine but if you can somehow become like the rock stars of the 1960s for example the late 1960s 
then whatever it is you're pushing will go to the middle class and towards a mass audience of many hundreds of millions of people. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are saying that the entire music, all the musical bands that came out of the 1960s, Led Zeppelin, Cream, Black Sabbath, uh, all the different bands, Jethro Tull, all the different bands that had a huge influence on the youth of the 1970s and 80s and were part of the sexual revolution too, all these bands were kind of manufactured from scratch. I don't think so. I think they just happened out of the natural rebellion of people, and then later they were steered and commercialized and co-opted. And I think that's what always happens. Always, What always happens is that there's a combination of, it's mostly top-down, the stuff that happens, but a lot of times things get out of control, like LSD got out of control, so they had to make it illegal, and all the rock star stuff got, the, the 70s rock stuff got kind of out of control, so they had to bring in punk and disco and some of this more nihilistic, hedonistic stuff to kind of counter it. All that stuff happens culturally, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't mean you can't have movements. You can't have movements towards the truth or towards more artistic things, and more artistic things uh, is where the truth is, because with artists and scientists, they're both engaged in different ways of doing the same thing. They're mapping out realities. The artist is mapping out realities within your psyche, within your spirit, within, uh, and then the, the scientist is mapping out realities to navigate in physical uh, reality, in physical space, whereas the other one is in more intangible spiritual uh, space of it. So it's all connected together and all relies on finding the truth to the degree that you can and uh, creating a generation and regeneration instead of degeneration synergy instead of roadblocks a win-win dialectic civilization with very little as, as little as you can uh, uh, minimize the parasitism that's always going to ex exist the law of the jungle the win-lose that's always going to exist i win you lose you know, if I win, you got to lose. No, I win, you win, he wins, everybody wins. Division of labor, we all benefit, and that's society. And that can only happen if you have freedom of association and freedom of speech. Two things that you got to have. Do we, do and you got to be able to control media. Media, you got to control. You got to not, the first rule of a free society should be there can be no monopoly medias that subconsciously program people because people have no control over their subconscious except to turn a device off completely. And even if you turn a device off completely, there's other media outlets out there. There's billboards. There's What are you going to do? You're not going to read magazines. You're not going to read books. If they, the same people control your books, your textbooks, your magazines, your radio, you turn off the TV, you listen to the radio, you get the same bullshit. You turn all of them off. You go out there. Other people are influenced by this crap. And you have to listen to their narratives, listen to their fantasies, listen to the stuff that was drilled into their freaking heads by the media that you just turned off. So no matter what you do, you're trapped in that. So you got to just find people that are in all ways, in as many ways as they can, they're, they're, they're turning off the media and they're trying to escape the media narratives altogether. And then these people form enclaves of liberated zones around the world. 
And then when there's enough of these liberated zones, <laughs> then our standard of living might go up a little bit because we have more truth in our in our hands and we have less media dictatorship, less media, but less subconscious media manipulation dictating our minds and the minds of our children and future generations. Well, you brought up freedom of uh, association and control of the media. This is another thing with the the alternative scene that I think I now sort of have a, a very different view to what maybe many of them do and what I did early on when I first got into this. Because you and I, we're creating media right now, okay? Like we're not broadcasting this live right now, but we can release this. We could release this within an hour. It wouldn't be difficult. No one's going to stop us from doing that. We could even end this Skype call right now, go and do a Google Hangout, broadcast live in real time, zero latency, no chance for anyone to censor us, what have you. So in a way, we do have control of the media. We've got control of our media. We don't have to watch Channel 7 or Channel 10 or in your country, NBC or MSNBC or whatever your uh, stations are over there. We actually do have control over the media today in a sense. I know some people say, oh, but we don't control the, the central media. It's like, no, we don't. But we can still put out our own media and we can decide what we listen to. And then in terms of freedom of association, like I, for instance, I've probably met 20, 30, 40, I lose track of how many people I've met through doing this, where they'll send me an email or a message and say, let's meet up, we'll meet up for a coffee or for a beer or I'll... There's been people I've even stayed at their place, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm completely free to associate with people and they're free to associate with me. And so I think to myself, are we really under as much control as some people would want us to believe? Have you spent much time thinking about this? On an individual basis, you're not under all that much control. But on a more, when you want to try to work with others in a group, that stuff is completely, they, can, they try to control every aspect, every square inch of land in the world, they try to control it. I mean, there's nowhere where you can go and establish, like if you wanted to establish like a new country, there's not even an island that you could do it on without probably being attacked and put out of business the way that the U.S. was supposedly put out. Uh, they went out here because they wanted to be free. They went to Australia. They wanted to be freer or whatever they wanted. You can't do that nowadays. So you can only create these zones in cyberspace. And it's not really an actuality. You're not creating it in actuality because all of Australia, you can't have guns in Australia, man. You got you had a shooting there. And whether it was probably a almost certainly a fake shooting, right? probably a fake shooting and maybe even if it was real or it was fake it doesn't matter you don't have guns over there man now you gotta because of that narrative they took all your guns away so what freedom do you have but, i mean you don't have that freedom sure but even then like i used to believe they'd taken all their guns away but it turns out and i don't mean to sort of make too much of a focus on this point but say with guns in australia yeah we did have the port arthur event which i don't believe was what we were told it was and I've spoken about that, you know, on other occasions. And that was used as a pretext to tighten up the gun laws. But it is still the case that people can own guns. My next-door neighbor back at a place I used to live in a couple of years ago, he just lived in an apartment, so he couldn't keep the gun on premises. But he did have a gun license, and he had a gun that he owned, and he was able to go out shooting when he wanted to. And you can still own guns in Australia. It is, there is yeah, but- restricted ownership. I agree with you about that. And you could argue that by restricting ownership, you know, making making a few more hurdles to jump over to own a gun, that that is taking away a sense of freedom. And I agree with you about that. But this general sense of we can't talk about what we want to talk about or do what we want to do, 
I mean, okay, you and I don't know if we could start a new country on an island. We've never tried it. Maybe we could, maybe we couldn't. But in terms of just leading our lives, what is there that we would want to do that we can't do? I mean, even things like talking about the hollow hoax, I used to think you can't talk about that in my country. I used to believe, oh, if you if you say you don't believe the six million, you're in big trouble. Man, I've talked about it heaps of times. Nothing's ever happened to me. I've never even received a single death threat yet. They haven't shut down my YouTube channel. They haven't taken down any videos. Uh, nothing has happened to me, even though I've stated oh. blatantly that I don't believe any of World War Two, let alone the supposed six million. Nothing's happened to me. So I, I wonder if there's this element of fear-mongering that goes on that people don't even realize they're part of it because they've bought into it. They've bought into this idea that we're under attack and we're under surveillance and they're going to stop us. And it's like, actually, they're not stopping shit. In fact, it's getting easier and easier for us to say whatever we want to whoever we want. It's never been in recorded human history. It's never been easy for us to share our honest opinions with any audience that wants to listen. Yeah, we try to use the word kike or the word faggot on YouTube and they'll give you a warning not to use it anymore because it's against their rules now. It wasn't before, but lately it was like that. Okay, so let's say that's true. Let's say that we can't use those words on YouTube or else YouTube will boot us off. Okay, that's it's YouTube's website. We can just go start our own website. I have my own website. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, so, so if someone says, oh, YouTube's going to censor you if you say the wrong things, okay, then that's one website. It, it doesn't mean, you know, it's not YouTube's job to let us say whatever we want to say. We can just say it. And then if YouTube doesn't want to cater to us, we can go elsewhere. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, Yeah, you can go elsewhere. You're just not going to get the same, the same number of people unless you, you, you switch them from YouTube. Is what you do is you, when you got... You got a video there that's 444,000 views now over here, which you put Ariana Grand Terror Attack 100% real proof. 100% real proof. John Levon, you got 444,785 views. <laughs> yeah, well, we should give the... Because this, obviously, I like, to, I like the idea that sometimes people go back and listen to archives of podcasts, because that's what I do. If I find someone who I like a podcast of, I go back through their catalog. So for the benefit of future listeners, in the last couple of weeks, there was this big event in Manchester in the UK where supposedly somebody bombed an Ariana Grande concert. Ariana Grande is some pop star, apparently. I was uh, pretty much oblivious to this person, and I still am, but they're big enough that this was a big deal. 20 people dead, thereabouts, and I released... 19. Was it 19? Was it 19, 22? You know how these stories always change day to day. You got... Oh, you got to get the numbers right, man. 19. You know, 19 is a big number for them. 9-1, 19, the same one they use for 9-1-1, the 19 hijackers, all that. You got to get the numbers right, dude. Well, however many wars yeah. who supposedly died, obviously the reality is that no one did. It's another fake made-for-TV movie. And I made a video, just to like a three-minute piss-take video that I called 100% proof that it was real. And I pretended that I was angry at the conspiracy theorists for saying it was fake. And I showed what I claimed was proof that it was real. But my proof was from an actual staged uh, drill a year ago in Manchester, which was an admitted drill. It was an admitted you know, drill for first responders to practice what they would do in an emergency. And it was clearly... Did you put that, did you put that in the video? Did you clearly state that this was something from a year before and they still believe it? Clearly stated, yeah. but it was like a three or four minute video. But I didn't state that until maybe two, like halfway through. So I carried on pretending it was real. And then I said, oh... What you just saw was actually from a staged thing a year ago where they admit it was staged. And then I sort of pretend that I can't reconcile why the admitted fake looks just like the claimed real. So I kind of left 
left a viewer, a viewer who wasn't familiar with me might be wondering, well, is he, does he think it's real? Does he think it's fake? And that video is up to like almost half a million views now. It's by far my most popular video. In fact, I've got as many views on that as pretty much every other video I've ever made put together. And if you read through the comments, like I've never been more... It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been more... Uh, there's people attacking you. There's people that think that it's real. There's people that tell you that it's a fake. Well, you, you dickhead, why did you put this... Why did you pretend that this was the Manchester event when this was from a year ago? When you actually said it was from a year ago, didn't you put like a disclaimer from... Didn't you, didn't you say that it was from a year I, ago or I did you just say it? I verbally stated and demonstrated oh, okay. visually that it was from an admitted staged thing. Like I could not have been more explicit about that. But the significant point was that I'd done that after like 90 seconds or two minutes of pretending it was real. And so what's happened is <laughs> that the conspiracy theorists think that I'm actually trying to claim it was real. And they're like, no, this wasn't real. This was uh, fake. Then there are other conspiracy theorists who think that I know that it's fake, but that I'm mocking conspiracy theorists or that I'm harming the truth movement or whatever. Then you've got people who think that I'm being serious, that this is real, and they're that retarded that they think... Like, the footage is clearly fake. It shows the guy who's an actor pretending to be a terrorist saying, you know, Allahu Akbar, he drops a smoke bomb next to himself. The smoke bomb goes off, then he dives dramatically on the ground. Like yeah, a, yeah, I've seen that. But, I saw but, that part. But they don't seem to be able to understand that it's fake. So this is why I'm saying recently that you know, conspiratards and normies, to me, they're two sides of the same coin. They just, oh, yeah. they just parrot yeah. different stories. The normies parrot whatever the TV tells them to parrot. The conspiratards parrot whatever their favorite YouTube truthers are telling them. In terms oh, of people yeah. who can actually watch a three or four minute video calmly without getting triggered, get to the end and realize, oh, okay, so this is, this is satire. The percentage of people who can do that Either among normies or among uh, so-called truthers, very, very, very tiny. The number of people who can think critically at this juncture in time, at least among the YouTube audience, the broader YouTube audience, and at, at half a million views now, this is a good cross... We're getting a good sample size of the YouTube audience. It's a audience. good sample, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite clear that the number of people who can actually think critically and dispassionately and objectively is very, very, very tiny. And so what I'm suggesting is that these people who want to identify as truthers or they're part of a truth movement, it's like, guys, who do you think is in your movement? People who are just as dumb as the normies that you're criticizing. Many of them are much dumber. The same, the same mechanisms of control, the same fear triggers, the same mechanisms of control are in the, uh, the, the so-called truthers, the truthers, as there are in the normies. But the thing is, another thing that this video suggests, your video, how popular it is in just a few days, is because you put in 100% real in big pink letters, like Grand Terror, 100% real, right on the thumbnail of the video. So people see this, and these are the people, like, I'll bet you anything that the majority of the people that watched your video or clicked on your video where are those people who somewhere in the back of their minds, they suspect that these things are fake, these things are ridiculous, but they want somebody like a daddy figure to reassure them that they're real and 100% real. And you became their daddy figure for that for those few days where they were desperately clicking and trying to find somebody to reassure them that these conspiracy theorists that are saying everything is fake are 
wrong. You know, they were trying to find something to reinforce their own deluded beliefs and you provided them that service and you made them feel good for a few seconds. And that, but if they were smart enough to realize you were putting them on, then they hated you for it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's completely true. I think most people, they need someone else, especially an authority figure. Even if the authority is as simple as some dude on YouTube, they need somebody else with some kind of platform telling them what you believe is already true. And it's this need for an external verification or confirmation of their pre-existing beliefs that leads them to proselytize to others in the first place. This is why, oh, I've just decided that I have a different cosmology to what they tell us. Now I've got to go and convince other people and I'm going to watch people with YouTube channels that are telling me they need constant reinforcement because deep down they're not really secure in their own opinions. And, And there's a good reason why they're not because they haven't formed their own opinions on their own. They've just been given a new opinion by someone else. They might have changed their mind on a topic, but they've changed their mind from believing what someone told them to what someone else told them. They haven't gone and done the actual research and thinking themselves, objectively, impartially, on their own. You see what I'm trying to say? So I think you're quite yeah, right. Yeah, parallel. Yeah, people it's want to be told. parallel to the inference. Yeah, some people want to be told, yep, this event was completely real. The conspiracy theorists are lying to you. Then there are other people who want to be told, you're being lied to when the news is lying, so they'll flock to those people. The, the number of people who just want to look at the evidence for themselves, incredibly tiny, incredibly tiny, which is why more and more as I understand this and internalize this idea that the truth scene, most of the people who are there have, have, do not have the same motivations of being there as I do, right? They, they, they just don't objectively. It doesn't make them bad people. It's just the reality. The more I realize I need to spend less time around those people because they're no more help to me in any kind of search for a better life or for truth or improvement. They're no more used to me than the normie who believes that Osama bin Laden flew planes at the buildings and killed 3,000. They might as well be the same people, is what I'm trying to say. But you know what, Nick? We, um, we need to wrap this up, mate, because we're coming up to two hours. We didn't even get a chance to talk about World War II and all of that. We'll have to talk about that next time. Space, the moon landings, uh, maybe even this flat earth nonsense that's going on. We can talk about that. Uh, we'll have to do all of that next time because uh, we're up to two hours now. What I'd love to get you to do for me, if you could, is give us an example or two of things that you've done in your life with the knowledge that you've gained to improve your life. What what things are you doing differently? Are there practices or techniques or are there things that you've stopped doing? Share with us some some practical changes that you've made that have helped you as a person thanks to the knowledge that you've gained away from TV. Oh, away from TV, just on the internet. Well, well, let's see. Back in the Alex Jones days, I bought a uh, two hundred fifty dollar gold coin from his Midas Resources, which is worth what close to like six hundred something right now. So I got that from him. After that, well, just from not having as much of a uh, as much of a luggage to carry around, as much of a mental luggage to carry around. It just frees up your mind to be able to think clearer. So in that sense, my whole perspective on things has gotten clearer. And through that, I save energy. You know, And if you save energy, that's what an economy is about. An economy is about saving energy. If you can save somebody energy in any way, then they have to give you some energy in return. And that the symbol for that energy is money. So if these things that I've learned have saved me some energy, then they make me more valuable to other people because 
my saved energy saves them as saved energy and these things synergize together and a more prosperous reality is hopefully created amongst people so besides that i've basically stopped drinking there was a time when every single day i would drink four fingers of vodka every single day for 10 years okay and then once a week i would binge I would binge, just drink as much as I could, black out on the weekends or whatever. So that, that's completely gone. You know, it's completely gone because I just replaced it with cannabis. I vaporized cannabis. And it's in no way affected my life negatively. Like, I, I've never had a hangover. I've, I've, physically, I'm in the best shape of my life since I was in my 20s. Uh, I could do all kinds of cardio. I could... Health, as far as health goes, I eat only uh, grass-fed meats, but they're you know, they're expensive. But you got to pay for quality. It's just eat organic, eat hemp protein from Hemp USA. Alex Jones got me on it. Jeff Rance got me on it. Hey, say whatever you want about them, but that's healthy to eat. And so it's it's got all the enzymes that you need, all the amino acids, everything that you need. So overall, it, that all these different things have improved my health physically and also in terms of my outlook overall, I would say I'm way happier than I was maybe five years ago. So overall, it's a good thing. That's why I continue doing it. Because a lot of people do do this. They get home from work, they crack open a beer. They might not drink every day, but regularly they're having one, two, three, four beers, what have you. They're They're not necessarily in their minds, alcoholic, and they're not necessarily uh, problem drinkers or whatever, but but maybe they know that they could afford to drink less. They just find it difficult, especially in social situations. They just find it they find it difficult to be sober if everyone's having a few beers and having a good time. How did you overcome... When you got rid of alcohol, did you find that difficult? What were some of the things you did to, to help you move away from, from alcohol consumption? Nothing, just just because they legalized cannabis over here, then it's so easy to... It was legal back then, too, but back then I was too caught up in my own... In the society's narrative is that weed is for lazy people. Weed is for lazy people, and if you want to get ahead, and you're, uh, if you're a pothead, most likely you're not going to be able to get ahead. And at the time, I was running a business online, and it was a very hustle business, you had to hustle a lot every day and you had to work long hours and stuff. So at that time I was just fueled by alcohol. I would just I would just drink alcohol to the extent that I needed to calm down or whatever and then I would take the damage that built up over the years and just just switching from that to just cannabis and completely calling off alcohol. Oh, and I forgot to say for a long time, I haven't eaten table sugar since even before 2006, 2005, 2006. And so that's a big health benefit, just not eating table sugar. Although, of course, alcohol directly turns into sugar in your system. So it's not that big. You're still taking any sugar that way. And so by table sugar and these like refined sugars, get rid of them if you can. Get rid of most white breads if you can. And eat a high-protein diet. Eat a grass-fed diet. Um, these things are important. So the reason and I ask about to... the alcohol is because a few years ago, I decided to quit alcohol for, at the time, it was like three months I wanted to get to, but then I wanted to get to six, and I ended up doing a full calendar year. I think um, I think it was from like January 3 to December 16, so not quite the literal calendar year, but 
pretty close to, and that was without a single drop of alcohol in that period of time. And I learned a lot from that experience. And one of the big things I learned was that what I was doing was I was drinking very quickly for no for no real good reason because I still wanted to go out to like, you know, there was a, an event at a pub. So I went to the pub and I was just drinking, um, I think at the time I was drinking lemon, lime and bitters instead of beer. And what I found was that I was just going through these drinks so quick. It was almost like sitting there at the table, just constantly drinking. And I was thinking to myself, man, if I'm doing that with beer, no wonder I'm drinking too much. Like there's no wonder every night is turning into a big night because I'm just drinking too fast. And so from that, when I finally did go back to drinking alcohol, I learned to try and mix up the drinks, water and beer. Now that was just a simple little thing, but what it also showed me was that I never really considered how much I was drinking when I was going out. Like it was, it was just something that had happened that I hadn't really thought about. So the process of just getting off it for, at the time, like I said, it was three months that turned into into almost 12. It was like, it was just something that was worth doing to reevaluate, you know, how and why I was drinking. Even just going out, I noticed that it was a bit more boring because a lot of the people who I was hanging out with, they were nice people, but they weren't really interested in the topics that I was. And so what I think, what I think I'd been doing was by drinking, it just makes it more fun. It's more fun. You're all drinking. You can tell more silly jokes and have a laugh and carry on. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, if I need to drink to be involved in this kind of social situation, I need to ask myself, you know, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it, you know, to, to have to drink or is it maybe, maybe I need to find other outlets for, for recreation or for pastime? You know, if, if these people and I, uh, if we're not having enough fun without drinking, maybe, maybe it's worth reconsidering what I do with my spare time. And so just that process I found, um, very enlightening. So, if I if I could give advice to like a, a younger version of myself, even younger than the twenty five year old one who was getting off the alcohol for a while, it's like, well, just see if you can go a month without alcohol and try and do the same things with alcohol. Reevaluate what you're doing when you're on the alcohol. You know what I mean? Like just just a month. If you can't go a month without a drink, then you know you've got a problem. You know you might as well stop denying it. That's what I would say to people with with alcohol. But you know I still drink to this day. I haven't had a drink now in a couple of weeks, but. I think, um, yeah, if you are drinking to excess regularly, then it's not good for you. And something you said to me the other day, Neg, when we were trying to organize this chat, you said that you're not drinking at all and you feel healthier. That actually inspired me to not drink last weekend. I was like, you know what? Let's see how long. Can I do a month? You know, I did it a few years ago. Let's do a month right now without alcohol. So today's Friday afternoon and I've been invited out tonight. I probably won't go out. I probably won't drink this weekend. Let's see if I can do a month. You know what I mean? Why not? I don't think uh, you have to necessarily quit things that are bad for you i think it's easy when people are trying to quit something they um it becomes too much and they just they just revert back but maybe instead of quitting something just a temporary break i think can be better you know don't tell yourself i'm quitting something just just give it a break can you give it a break even something as simple as the internet man there are people doing five hour six hour google hangouts on the daily you know maybe the internet has become too big a thing you know maybe it's worth having a break from that you know like um i think a lot of the things that i've done wrong and i continue to do wrong it's, it's about taking breaks and reevaluating. One good thing that I've done, Neg, I want your opinion on this, is taking up walking as a hobby. I now just rip things to MP3, like the Alan Watt talks, rip them to MP3, and I go for a walk. Some of the walks I go for are two or three hours, just going out for a walk. And now, obviously, I'm pretty lucky. I live in Brisbane, where even in winter, we get beautiful weather. It's a beautiful city. But most people, if they wanted to, could uh, bring walking into their into their lifestyle, and like I said, they could listen to podcasts or whatever. It's yeah, they can still do their quote unquote research, listening to podcasts or videos. You know, Google Hangouts. You can rip them to MP3. I think this is something I've been doing now for a couple of years. 
so it's been long enough now that it has become not just a, a new new thing to do but it's part of my lifestyle now walking i think uh, i'm blessed that i've started doing this if i could give uh, the younger version of myself advice i'd be like dude just it doesn't have to be every day but geez uh, you'll feel better you get home you feel better you've got to listen to what you wanted to listen to you haven't been sitting in a chair watching a google hangout uh bring walking into your into your routine what do you think about that neg would you have you oh. are you much of a walker yeah, it's good. Go hiking. It's better. I see. It's better to hike in the woods than if you got some woods. There's some trails in it. It's better to hike in the woods than just to walk on pavement and concrete and whatever. But also, running is good if you can. If you can run, if you run uphill, if you sprint uphill as fast as you can for about a hundred yards, ten seconds, whatever, whatever you can before you get out of breath. What happens is a hormone is activated in your body, a growth hormone that builds muscle and burns fat for 24 straight hours. So if you just go out once every two days and sprint uphill four or five times, you will base and and if you eat a high protein diet, if you don't eat tons of sugar and junk food all the time, you will basically every single time you will shred yourself more. You know, every single time you will lose more weight. And you don't need to do any more than that. You don't need to do any more than those runs uphill. If all you want to do is just basically shred yourself down to your ideal size and less than 10% body fat or something. You, know, you, you, can, you can shred yourself down just by doing those sprints, sprint uphill. I just found this out myself Like from, from this guy who used to be in Frank Zappa's group. He's 60 years old and he's like, shred it down to like six pack abs you can do a, a a full handstand and talk at the same time you know this guy's like 60 years old and that's what he does he runs hills uphill so if you can run hills if you don't have injuries like heel injuries or something definitely do that run uphill and that'll that'll, that'll save you a lot you don't have to go to the gym and do sit-ups you don't have to do all these other things just run uphill and that'll That'll pretty much shred you down to your to your best weight. I haven't had Direct a gym membership weight. in a couple of years, yeah. and I'm doing more pull-ups in one set than I've ever done in my life. You know what I mean? Just by going to parks and doing pull-ups, and um, I'm I weigh less now than I did in under 19s footy, and that was my fittest year of uh, football. You know, and that was 10 years ago. So, you know, little changes can make a big difference. And a huge difference. A huge difference. That make a big difference. And yeah. I think I think I feel a lot better day to day i find myself less inclined to look at the negatives or to want to find people to blame for problems because i'm more cognizant now of how how much i'm responsible so if if i'm not happy with uh, my health or my well-being i know that it's it's my responsibility this idea of blaming others is i think uh, a cop-out and i've still got a long way to go nick i've got a long way to go i've got big plans a couple of months until i turn 30 so i'm trying to get uh, as fit as i can so i can hit 30 uh hit the ground running but I've still got a lot ahead of me, so I'm not trying to sit here and say I've got the answers. You're not either, but I think both of us, from the way it's uh, sounding from you, and I know certainly in my experience, we have found there are little things you can do that can significantly improve your life. And I think it's probably probably worth us every now and then asking ourselves, are we really interested in leading a happier, healthier life? Because if we are, there are some simple things we can do, such as getting out there, walking a bit more. If you can, maybe like you said, hills. I personally do like to run up hills as well. So I'm interested to hear you say that. That's another thing that I find is very effective. But whatever it is, just get out there and, and try and try and be better to ourselves 
And maybe if we do that, we'll find ourselves uh, more at peace with the world. I know that's certainly been the case for me. But we need to wrap this one up now, Neg. So give the listeners an idea, if they're not already familiar with you, where they can find your work. I'll be providing links to all of your chronicles below this on my website. But for those who are listening to this elsewhere, where can they find your work and uh, learn more about yourself? Oh, my work is basically on podcasts like this. If I, somebody invites me or I make those Negantropic Chronicles long marathon podcasts, which are basically just, instead of blog entries, I just do audio and just stick them together and make one really long podcast for myself and some sometimes other people like to listen to it as well. It's mostly highlights from other people's podcasts plus maybe like an hour reading or commentary I do. Most of the time I just do reading because... Uh, that's a lot easier than just doing a solo commentary the way John LeBond does all the time. But hey, uh, that's where you can find me. And about exercise, another thing I want to say about exercise is all these things, they synergize together in a, in a, in a really bizarre but good fashion. Like if you go, so if you're doing the exercise, if you're doing the cardio, that at the same time, uh, helps you uh, spiritually, and at the, if your spirit is, if you're if you're balanced in the head, that at the same time helps you physically. For example, when you're going uphill, you realize that. Okay, when you're hiking uphill, you realize that. Uh, for example, that the regular tennis shoes that most people use, they they have these, these cushions. They don't let your natural uh, foot, the, the bottom of your foot, hit the ground in the proper fashion. Like like a midfoot strike to the ground, so what that ha- what that takes away the shock absorption. Your legs are naturally shock absorbent when you're barefoot, and you use your full stride. So that that takes away your full stride and the shock absorption. So once you realize that, then you try to go as barefoot as possible, or well, like the lower profile shoes that are very thin on the bottom. Then you realize that you can move so much faster you know all these things add up on each other and feed on each other and when you you get into that virtuous circle that's what you want to be in you want to be in a virtuous circle instead of a vicious circle once you get into that then you keep pumping and you just keep going forward and you want to get into that and just keep pushing forward once you do that then you you're regenerating instead of degenerating and ultimately uh, you get healthier and healthier every single day and you get sharper and sharper in your mind every single day. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. There is definitely a synergy. There's there's some kind of uh, inherent link between taking care of our bodies and taking care of our minds. The two seem to go hand in hand. And I know that if I go more than a couple of days without going for exercise, my mind starts to feel a bit more cloudy as well. It could be all in my head. It might be an entirely psychological thing. In fact, that's kind of what I'm suggesting that it is. It's like there's, there's this link that we just feel better, uh, our bodies feel better when we take care of them, and everything There's else seems balance. to... Yeah, it's balance. It, it all flows together. It's a balance. You don't get the balance. You go freaking, if I have balance in my head, how come when I'm walking up this hill, how come I'm hiking up this hill, how come I'm not balanced? Let's see if instead of walking the regular way, I can maybe lean a little bit to this side, I can maybe lean a little bit to that side, I can maybe let gravity take me a little forward, I, I, I can maybe let momentum take me where it wants to go and see if I can still balance myself uphill. Once you do that, you realize that, what the hell? You know, I never even learned how to walk the right way. And I think I know something. Shit. I don't know anything. You know, everything starts from balance. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, you just learn how to walk. 
You just learn how to walk because, oh, shit, all this time I've been wearing these shoes and I haven't been able to uh, balance myself the right way and uh, position myself the right way to get the most leverage and to get the shock absorption so that when I run down these freaking rocks, I don't bang up my feet. I don't even know all this stuff. You know, so you realize that stuff when you apply one uh, balanced thinking in one area to everything. So everything becomes a, a, a quest for a balance. Like you're going to the center instead of trying to find, you're trying to center yourself and everything is going to the center. It's, it's being centered. Yeah, well, stick around because I'll just do a little wrap up here and then we'll do a decompression session afterwards. So just stick around there. But quickly, for the listeners, this has been Perspectives, our second episode. The first one was called episode zero. So I guess this might be episode double zero or one. I'll decide that in post-production. But uh, you've had with us Negan Tropic. I'll yep. leave links to all of the Chronicles below this on the website at johnlebon.com. That's J-O-H-N-Lebon.com. You'll find the Perspective episodes, uh, previous, any future ones that might come for archive listeners as well. Lots of other shows there. Basically, what I do is just what I call deep skepticism where I say, right, what's the primary source evidence? This book doesn't have it. Let's go look at the citations. Let's follow them through. What's the official story, whether it's the official cosmology of the world or the monsters that used to walk around Earth or the even humans and how we got here from single-cell organisms and things like war. How much do we know about war or space or any of these topics? I don't necessarily have uh, answers to give you. What I'm doing is looking at the official stories and seeing if I can find problems, and uh, I find it enjoyable. And if you like that kind of thing, you can go and check it out at johnlebond.com. But we've got to wrap this one up. Huge thanks to Negan Tropic. Hopefully we can do this again within four months. I think a four-month break was uh, a little bit excessive. So hopefully we can reconvene before uh, before August of this year or what's coming up. October it'll be in four months' time. We'll hopefully get together before that. But on the 2nd of June, 2017, Brisbane time and the 1st of June over there in uh, the west coast of the US, which is where Negan Tropic's been coming to you from. It's goodbye for now. And uh, hopefully you guys can take care of yourselves because if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is going to. 